everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show that used to be an examination of the X-Men comic book franchise, started with Giant Size X-Men number one, but barely six months in, and we have gone completely off the rails. We have spent the last few weeks taking a look at comic books from all over the Marvel spectrum, from Marvel Team-Up to Marvel UK's Captain Britain Weekly. Woo! We have been all over the globe checking out Marvel superheroes from the 1970s, trying to piece together the complicated tapestry that was the X-Men franchise, and exactly how it took over the comic book industry. Of course, I keep saying we, and I, your host, Nico, could not do it alone. With me today to cover the insane type we are going to cover today are all of the co-hosts of X is for Podcast. We have Team Uncanny Jonah. Hello, everyone. We have Team Champions Kyle. Hey, guys. And we have Team Captain Britain Kevo. Watcha. Hello, hello. So this is tremendous and super exciting, and I could not be more eager to cover the material today. The last time we were taking a look at the material ahead of us, we said, okay, we were going to do all of these Marvel team-ups, and it just didn't work out. We had so much to say that wasn't, it just wasn't room for these, this story that's supposedly sort of one big story, but not remotely one big story. Kevo, I know you're coming into the Marvel team-up four-parter, the annual into the three-part arc, Blind, uh-huh. but you're in for, you're in for some, I, I don't even fucking understand what you're in for, but you're in for it, man, and it's going to be a wild ride. I'm excited. And then we're going to take a trip over to Marvel Team Up again to take a look at Captain Britain's first U.S. appearances, where he finally meets Spider-Man after sharing a title with him for how how long has it been Super Spider-Man and Captain Britain? I think it's like 16 issues, and they never meet once. Something like that, yeah. It's so ridiculous. So, all right. Guys, uh, you know, I think this is episode like eight, nine, or ten. It's it's something like that. And Jonah, when you and I had first set out to do this podcast, we were setting out to do this because you and I were eager to talk about Nightcrawler, right? But you have read everything but Nightcrawler at some occasions. So tell me, Jonah, what's been your your favorite thing or uh, just something that's standing out to you this far into the program? I really like going back and finding more about characters that I didn't know much about to begin with, but finding a new breadth of interest that I didn't have originally. And I also really like looking and dissecting the writing of when these originally came out versus how it holds up today and would this be written the same way? And I really find it so fascinating how much I'm enjoying stuff that was written 40, 30, 50 years ago. It's great. You know, that was one of the things that really drew me to X-Men when I first came into it. The wealth of titles, uh, the different genres they covered, and just the the great spectrum of years that the franchise encompassed. It was just terrific and you helped inspire putting together the show we decided we wanted to do this together and you know the first person i said had to come along for the wild ride was kyle kyle when when i pitched this to you i believe i pitched it as fun dot 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 good dot 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 high times dot 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 yay and i think what you've gotten is a little bit more Reasons torture? to hate all of your yeah torture. Reasons to hate all of your favorite characters. That's that, you know. But I think we've had some fun, some self torturing fun. Although I think it's funny that we haven't gotten to an actual second episode of the Champions yet. Yeah. But tell me, Kyle, you've you set out to read Champions, and again, you've read everything. But tell me, what has this experience been like for you? It's been eye opening. I wasn't expecting uh, these characters to experience a lot of this stuff. 
And honestly, I'm really looking forward to when our champions guys join the rest of the group. I'm super, I'm super with you on that, you know, and I think that's something I hadn't even considered it until you said it that way. Part of what is holding back the energy on the champions episodes is that it is so far removed from everything else going on. It's hard to figure out how they intersect with the rest of the X-Men. Jonah and I have commented that Angel and Iceman most predominantly appeared in X-Men Classic Number 1 and then sort of disappeared off the face of the X-Men for a while to head over to Champions. But it was really the classic story that put them in there, which was written 12 years later. It's been interesting. And getting to go back a little bit further and read Beast, that was something that I really enjoyed doing with you because I've read that first Amazing Adventures a number of times. I've never liked it before, so I really appreciated you kind of putting a different spin on it. I'm really excited for when we get to the Defenders and we see a little bit more Beast. I'm kind of looking forward to that, too. I have absolutely no experience with them whatsoever, so I kind of want to see what they're actually about. I think having three former X-Men, with it being Iceman, Angel, and Beast, is going to soften that disconnect that we've been feeling. Also, I think having more recognizable characters, a stronger stable, instead of dealing with one of the Ghost Riders, Hercules, and a sort of disconnected view of Black Widow, we're going to have the reliability of Doctor Strange and the Silver Surfer. We'll also have Valkyrie for people who are super excited about the Thor universe like I am. And that's really cool. That's always a really good time. Anytime you get to interact with the Asgardians, it's always, especially classic 70s Asgardians, it's it's really off the wall. And that's actually really funny that that comes up with you, Kyle. I know you're going to be covering X-Factor with me. There's a period in time where X-Factor is written by Wheezy Simonson, Louise Simonson, who did a tremendous run on X-Factor. She's the good things about that book. And her husband, Walt Simonson, one of my personal heroes, one of the best things to ever happen to the Thor franchise, creator of Better Ray Bill, for those of you who are big Thor fans like me, uh, her husband, they wrote I, they wrote X-Factor and Thor, really complimentary, where characters would go back and forth. So we're actually going to be reading a lot of 80s Thor over the years, you and I, and that's going to be exciting. I'm actually really excited about that. I've been meaning to read Thor uh, on my own for a while now. Oh, that fuck. Well, I guess you and I are going to do Thor Bros, uh, a gay boy read of, of Thor podcast. Look what you've just did to yourself. So, <laughs> good job, pal. Yay. And, oh, yay. It's real good. I, I, I'll gladly walk you through the, the halls of Valhalla. Okay. Kevo. Kevo, when I asked you to come be part of this with me, you, you agreed with a smile on your face, excited to take a look at Captain Britain. Sure. And since then, I have slowly drained the life out of you with the most painful Captain Britain issues possible. I promise good days are coming. Uh, what's What's been your favorite part of this show so far? And, you know, I, I believe you that good days are coming. It's just, you know, it's the 70s, man. It's the dawn of a renaissance of comic books and them becoming more... Uh, accept it again, and so they will start getting more attention soon, and I recognize that. It's uh, It's been fun. It's been interesting. I really like the character. 
so far of Captain Britain. I'm not so much loving the stories, but I know I've read other comics from this era. I remember reading uh, the first several issues of Daredevil from the beginning, and a lot of those villains were very much the same. So it's not like I wasn't prepared. That's a really fair way to put it. I really appreciate you trying to meter out that we read the Silver Jubilee issues where somebody mind-controlled the queen through jewelry into trying to reclaim Africa for herself. So, yeah, you tried to put a really nice spin on it, and I think you are hitting the most important thing on the head. That does bring it very full circle. The most important criticism we've had of these stories so far is that the stories themselves feel dated, disconnected, and sort of stale. But the thing that we've all seemed to enjoy is the underlying characters buried in these stories. I know while we didn't always love everything about the first batch of X-Men stories, the bits of the characters that started to sneak through were really what pulled us in. You felt very positive on Nightcrawler from the very beginning, right Jonah? Uh, absolutely correct. Nightcrawler was a character that, if you look at his dialogue, he kind of gets some of the best uh, lines. He gets a lot of characterization early on, outside of a lot of characters who are either a walking accent or just don't have anything to them yet. So it was really nice and validating to see one of my favorite characters uh, get so much good so early on. I agree that it is validating when you feel like your fandom is rewarded with good content. And in that way, Kyle, I feel like we discussed that even when we didn't love the Amazing Adventure stories themselves, it was a really great experience to see Beast transform physically and as a character. I remember that was one of the commentaries we had, that we watched his organic development across those stories. It was pretty cool. I mean, we we watched his fur changing colors. We saw his personality change. It was just a really interesting character growth for him. I feel the same way. It, for me, did feel like a personal journey for that character. The stories weren't where I wanted them. But at the end of the day, like Kevo said, the character is starting to shine through and we're getting a sense of what's going on there. I guess from characters to stories is the only natural progression here. Let's take a look at what we're going to be covering today. We're going to be taking a look at more Marvel Team-Up, and then we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled program. But first up is Marvel Team-Up Annual number 1, Marvel Team-Up 53 through 55, which had been promised in the last back issue bin, and then we're going to top things off with Marvel Team-Up 65 and 66. Marvel Team-Up Annual has a plot by Chris Claremont, Bill Mantlo, and Bonnie Wilford, with a script by Bill Mantlo. The art has Sal Buscema on breakdowns and Mike Esposito on finishes. Next up is Marvel Team-Up number 53 through 55, all of which are also written by Bill Mantlo, and have pencils by John Byrne with inks by Mike Esposito, with the exception of number 55, which has inks by Dave Hunt. Chris Claremont returns to pen Marvel Team-Up 65 and 66, again with pencils by John Byrne. Marvel Team-Up Annual is a sort of difficult-to-describe story where Spider-Man meets the all-new, all-different X-Men for the first time. What's very significant about this story is where it came out in terms of where it goes. The issue came out in December of 1976, but thanks to continuity, the issue actually can't go until April of 1978. December of 1976 places this squarely in the middle of the Cassidy Keep arc. When this came out, Jean was still in the hospital asking questions about death to her roommate. 
Fan Order places this story in April of 1978, after the X-Men return home from space, somewhere around issues 109 to 110, which is why we're talking about it here. So, this story definitely has no place between 103 and 104, and that's not really the sort of breathing room where this could have happened. So then 105 to 108 is a tight, complete story in space, and we see them come home and they pop over to Iron Fist, and it's sort of one of those things where the writing was so tight, it was difficult to place this exactly where it should go. So there's going to be slight hiccups in the characterization in the story as it relates to where the characters are now. And that's something we just need to keep in mind when we go into this issue. I feel like we've set the issue up enough. Let's talk about Marvel Team-Up Annual number one. So Kyle, was this your first full, all-new, all-different X-Men issue? In terms of the podcast, yes. So this was sort of like a big shift back to things, right? This was like bringing things back from the weird Marvel team-ups we've been reading with these weird versions of the X-Men in that in-between space. Right. Jonah, this had to be kind of the, the weirdest for you. This is the first time you're reading something super anachronistically, where it was designed at one point and then executed at, at another time. How did you feel about this sort of over-the-top issue? I have a lot of opinions about this issue, not the best ones. I feel like this issue is trying to do too much, and it's similar to Giant Size X-Men number one, the very first issue we talk about on the podcast. It's broken up into three parts, but there's so much they're trying to put into it that everything just comes across rushed. The all-new, all-different X-Men are a big team, so not everyone's going to have a chance to speak, but a lot of the X-Men don't say anything. There's a lot of dialogue that's really only between Spider-Man and Scott or Spider-Man and Wolverine. No one else really speaks this issue. And so it's a kind of a little bit weird that you're featuring this all new, all different team, but they're not really there. I totally see that. They're kind of projections of themselves. It's, it's a weird use of all of these characters. All right, Kevo, strap in because we're about to dive into this thing. Yo. We open up on that super cool Buscema splash page, and the first thing that I noticed in the left-hand corner is that Claremont helped shape the story, and that's notable, at least. We get a whole big news blurb, a busy few pages, explaining this complicated top-secret lab explosion. Um, it's it's This is nuts. Okay, Kyle, do you want to try and walk us through this first three pages a little bit? Oh, boy. So... We start the story off in a pretty much no-man's land in Nevada. There's a government facility called The Nest. And this government guy shows up, and he gets approached by really weird robots. And he seems really concerned that he keeps getting asked for his identification. It's, it's a really locked-down place. And he eventually comes across a whole bunch of scientists um, who are all working on some kind of uh, nuclear energy project, including, apparently, this guy's ex-wife. And uh, I guess they don't get along very well. Let's talk about what you're describing here. You're describing... The most like it's just this is not an this is not a high energy comic. It's not at all. Uh, Jonah, how bored were you trying to get through this thing? This comic was a struggle. This it was so 
bland because so much doesn't happen for so much of it. And even when there is a little bit of action, it's not exciting. I agree. This was the toughest read since like giant size X-Men or giant size Fantastic Four. This is, Kevo, it just, it keeps, the hits just keep coming. So hang in. It just keeps, they just keep trying to introduce more and more and more stuff. And it's really not, it, nothing clicks. Nothing clicks, nothing goes anywhere. So, yeah. you know, it's really interesting because we've seen the X-Men meet Spider-Man over and over again in the last couple of episodes. And here the X-Men meet Spider-Man again. I feel like they might as well be strangers, even though several of them have met several times. I was noticing that when I was doing the reading, I was like, how many times are these various superheroes going to meet Spider-Man and be confused? Yeah, it gets to be a little bit too much for me. It gets, it just gets to be more and more of the same over and over again. I never feel like the stories really progress forward. The characters don't seem to learn anything, nor do they seem to connect in any meaningful way. That does bring me to the point of, I actually don't think there's really much about this issue to talk about. The plane crashes, everybody's trying to make sense of what's going on, and robots coming for the X-Men. It's so strange. And there's this one point where Cyclops says, he's going to need Wolverine to hold him back to protect this guy. And it sort of feels like Bill Mantlo had no idea who the X-Men were, if that's the line of dialogue he was going to write. Absolutely. That's a weird characterization to have Scott say. Up until every issue in Uncanny, Wolverine would be the person needed to be held back. Scott? That's not something Scott would ever say or ever do. That's It's so out of character. It's Even though Chris Claremont was on this... It kind of seems like people took his toys, but they didn't ask how to use his toys or how to play with them. So they're just kind of waddling around, not doing much. I actually don't think there's a whole lot to talk about with this issue, that the plot doesn't really go anywhere. The characterization is totally off. I think, though, the heart of this story comes down to two things. Number one, Spider-Man says it's okay for the X-Men to possibly die as guinea pigs for an irradiated weed killer. And number two, it turns out if you're a terrorist, you get rewarded by the X-Men. That's what happened, right? Everybody feels that way, right? Apparently. There is a, actually a huge plot point error. So when they're going to radiation, one of the scientists that's on the plane before it crashes says, "I only if I had to spray all of you with this anti-radiation spray, it'll only last for an hour. And that's fine. But in the continuation of this Marvel team-up to then 53 to 55, I don't think it's possible that Spider-Man would have any protection because there's no way between the events of what happened here and then what happens in those there's no way an hour can go by that he's still protected because that does become a plot point. Okay, I'm going to take us a step back because that's definitely like, I don't want to get into the next part yet, but that is so accurate and that is, that's interesting. I'm going to keep a lookout for that as we're discussing this. I hadn't thought of that. Interesting. I also just want to point out that I think it's insane that Spider-Man's like, test your irradiated weed killer on us because to me, Spider-Man and the X-Men do so much good on such a regular basis and are responsible for saving so many lives that they would be willing to die testing this product somewhere in the middle of the desert is so ridiculous. But again, that's not even the most ridiculous thing about this issue. Kyle, would you please help me summarize the end of this issue? I need Kevin to understand, Kevo. I need you to understand understand the end of this issue there's these bad guys i can't even i'm I'm trying to like 
not cop out on describing this issue. A rapid succession of things kind of like blows my mind. It's just the most bizarre situation ever. And, oh. Oh, yeah. So we have all these Hindu-influenced people who have superpowers now. They've, they targeted the plane. Pretty much they kidnap Spider-Man and the all-new, all-different X-Men because they felt a power from G. And when they bring them all back, they somehow have her in a different costume than where she should be. Yeah, that's, I, I, you know what? I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I really appreciate that that's the part you're saying. I just really want you to get to the part where they reward these terrorists by turning them into a star. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. The X-Men. <laughs> um, I would say this counts in our marker for X-Men throwing people into space. Agreed. This absolutely, everybody, take a drink. Yes. This is X-Men into space. <laughs> now I want to make a meme with the X-Men and the You Tried star. Basically, these irradiated beings, and they are, they've ascended this higher plane, and the X-Men help them, they just don't, they don't belong on this world, they're too powerful for our world. So the X-Men help them funnel their energy into becoming a star in distant space i mean it's what the doctor would do but still but still there was apparently there's enough cosmic energy in space where they won't drain the energy out of the earth so fuck space basically exactly but somehow they they did this by cyclops shooting his eye beams and banshee screaming at the eye beam and <gasps> it was very it was by our powers combined we are captain star maker it really was it feels like this should have been a christmas episode yeah it's and like it's the it's the north star and then jesus came <laughs> god bless us everyone still better than a very morlock christmas Nothing is better than a very Morlock Christmas. I mean, it's it's in the name. It's a very Morlock Christmas. I only wish it was called a very Mostlock Christmas. No. So, all right. I don't. I, does anybody have anything else on this goddamn annual? No. I do. Do we ever see them again? No. no. Okay. <laughs> so. I think there's nothing left to do but to move right into the three-parter that basically gives us the Infinity Gauntlet, but I don't... Okay, hold on. Fuck the fuck, the fuck, 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 the fuck, 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 the fuck, back the fuck up. Here is my issue, my, well, my problem, because we have to stop using issue to mean something that is not good because we're talking about comic book issues, and that's super confusing. Let's be more specific. My problem here is there is no way this is a three-part arc. This is like kind of part of an issue by itself and then it's like an issue and a half of one thing that has nothing to do with spider-man at all and then there's sort of this like tagged on issue at the end that's like oh by the way infinity gauntlet and i i can't even begin to describe my relationship with this arc i want to bring jonah and jonah talk to me 
when you were reading this arc, did you think to yourself, yes, this is one continuous story that I feel organically flows directly out of the events of that annual by virtue of the X-Men still being in the vehicle with Spider-Man heading out of the events of the annual? Absolutely not. This just feels like something they shoehorn in at the last minute and we're like, well, it has to pick off somewhere. We need to have a little bit of continuity. So they chose it to have happen at the end of Marvel Team Up Annual number one. But none of these these issues aren't even cohesive enough to be considered an arc. So why would you even do that? These are like these are almost basically three separate stories. If someone just told me that these were three separate stories, I would have no qualms. I would not argue with it. I would go, you're right. I feel the same way i would actually have felt better about this arc if they hadn't tried to dress it up as one continuous thing i was beguiled by that kyle was this your first experience with 1970s cosmic marvel yes and what an introduction i was so incredibly confused with what was going on. i i i've read this stuff and the stuff surrounding it before and i was confused too Ultimately, part of why we covered this arc in its entirety is because characters from this arc will find themselves in the next episode of Champions. It felt weird to read the first two issues of one continuous story and drop off on the other two when one of them connected to the next thing we were going to cover anyway. It's, it's all very connected in a Griffin sort of way. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, the Chimera. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> this is... This is some this is something else. The first thing this this three parter starts with is Hulk just sort of like keeping a town. It's I I don't know how else to explain this. The Hulk just sort of decides to keep a town. Did everybody else take that from that first few pages? Hulk just keeps a town. Yeah, that's what I got from it. Absolutely. He literally says, "No one in town Hulk own town now. This Hulk's town. Hulk make this town good. Hulk is like, Possession is nine-tenths of Hulk law! Hulk take town. Hulk live here. I think possession is ten-tenths of Hulk law. I... I think Hulk is ten-tenths of Hulk law. (laughs) I think Kebo just said Hulk smash. Hulk just sort of keeps this town and then... All right, but then there's Wood God. Can we... Oh, Kevo, your face right now is everything to me, and I just wish this was a video Elaborate on what that means. Wood God is a beefed-up satyr from the Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) Yeah, basically, there's Wood God, and Wood God is essentially the Hulk, but with, like, a kill-you scream. And I personally didn't feel the Hulk needed a kill-you scream, but beyond that, I also don't think it's interesting at all. And yet, I I don't know. There's a there's a dead body that can't stop smiling at one point, and I just I uh, let's just get to the X Men's very brief appearance. What do you mean it can't stop? Why would it stop? It's a dead body. <laughs> it was a millennial. Was very happy to be dead. Oh, it, oh my god! Anything to get oh. away from student loans. The X Men make a very very brief appearance, and it turns out that they had Spider Man ride on the hood of their very weird little ship. Yeah, and then where wait did that for ship it. come from? Oh, it doesn't even matter. What matters is where the fuck did Banshee's personality come from? Because all of a sudden Banshee gets dialogue like it's nobody's motherfucking business or something. I literally that couldn't believe weird. Banshee had more dialogue here than in the Cassidy Keep arc. Banshee has had more dialogue here than literally every single combined issue of the Uncanny Run of what we've read so far. I believe that. Although in traditional Banshee fashion, he just drops out of the issue at one point. Like, he's just like, eh, I'm out. Outie. Banshee out. 
His little excuse is, oh, if I had to catch up with the X-Men, I'm not going to make it by that point. So you're good here, right? Yeah, he's just, he gotta go. (laughs) It was, it's so bad. He just abandons Spidey in the middle of of a giant spike forest. Although, I do want to say one thing, uh, going back a little bit further, I really love that in Spider-Man and Wolverine's, like, first meeting, Logan literally tells Spider-Man that he could have made him walk instead of riding on the hood of a car. And I just think that's adorable because Logan being annoyed with Spider-Man right off makes my heart tingle in all the ways that it should. What's really funny is the X-Men's appearance is actually incorrectly referred to as Giant Size Marvel Team-Up. When it's Marvel Team-Up Annual, Spider-Man received Giant Size Spider-Man instead. And in those months, Human Torch was the star of Marvel Team-Up. So... The second reference to the previous story doesn't have the error. They only do it one time, but they actually let an error in a reference go through to print. The X-Men managed to get their... It's, I can't even explain it. I think the X-Men are being... It's, the X-Men are being treated as a UFO and they're having missiles fired at them. There's no other way to say it. I'm like trying to... like I, I just... I, I don't even understand. So far, the Spider-Man X-Men storyline is the real focus of this story, not the Hulk and Wood God thing, which thank God, because fuck that, it's terrible. Their fight is just like these two huge dudes smashing each other doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue i'm super interested in i'm almost confused this marvel team-up feels like it's it's too many team-ups this is marvel too many team-ups i'm over teamed you guys absolutely it's a weird mismatch of too many characters like it's too much separation going on and trying to explain where this fits in continuity wise and it's really just better off if for some reason literally they can just say for some reason spider-man was just in new mexico literally that would have been better yeah my notes for the next few pages say everything i need I'm baffled by Banshee teaming up with Spidey because Banshee doesn't even get to team up with Banshee in Banshee's title. The Banshee-Spidey stuff does feel like it should have been more natural with Kurt because they've already met. It's not wholly hard to swallow or believe these two characters would team up, but this doesn't feel like the team up anyone's been waiting for. Hulk electrocutes himself and then, I don't know, is just sort of unconscious and Wood God just sort of fucks off and now I think he's some kind of satyr. So then the issue just sort of ends when the Hulk wakes up And by looking at the cover again, it looks like Woodgod and Spidey are getting squashed by Hulk, no mention of the X-Men or Banshee, or their missiles fired after them, and it boils down to this strange little bits of issue instead of anything that makes sense with the contents. That was a... that I... I... Kyle, did you... Did I... Did I I read the wrong book or something? Because that's what happened, right? That's... Yeah, that's what happened. I honestly don't understand why they just dropped the x-men for hulk and wood god because they are not very inspiring i have no notes for i have like no notes for this next issue i (laughs) so it's spidey and hulk versus the man brute called wood god and the military and i don't know I just assume they jump and swing away, and oh, don't you know it, Spidey's already swinging away on the next page. This is another one of those things about the genre. And now, the Hulk and Spider-Man and Woodgod are all just sort of working together to escape because they have no choice. No, 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 no! None. Okay, but I want to take it just a little bit back, even before we talk about how the second issue does nothing. In the first issue, 
the Spider-Man makes a note of the, the when Spider-Man arrives to this abandoned town, he notes that the only reason he's able to stay conscious is the spray that he was sprayed on in Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 1. But we were told in that issue it only lasts one hour. Mm-hmm. You cannot convince me that the time of the events that transpired in Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 1 to Spider-Man maintaining consciousness this entire fight is in within one hour. That is physically not possible. That is a huge oversight on Marvel. Yeah, there's no way. Absolutely no way. It's one of those things where I, I, I'm gobstopped. I don't even have much to say about this particular issue, except I, I'm just going to... Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to kind of power pivot through this issue real quick. Uh, so the random military science guys have Woodgod and Hulk, and I feel like the entire issue was a waste of my time because they tried to escape and then got recaptured anyway. But suddenly, Woodgod can fight the guy who killed his dad. What? I out of nowhere, there's just this subplot where Woodgod gets to fight the guy who killed his dad, and it just it that's just we just drop it there. We don't even, we don't come back. That's it. That's it. Yeah, they keep Woodgod's dialogue keeps referencing like, oh, this killed my father, this killed mother, blah blah blah. But it's like no one knows what you're talking about. You didn't explain enough about it. No one cares about this character, and then you just throw this in randomly uh, yeah i felt like i felt like i was getting i don't know i was getting pushed into something terrible well so do we ever see Woodgod again i don't know if we ever see him again in the history of the marvel universe but not in this arc yeah once this issue once the second issue is done then we don't see him again as far as i'm aware so kyle does this feel to you like the second part of the of the arc that started with the issue you just read no no, I I just don't. Why? It's it's a scratcher because if somebody were to go back and be like, "Oh man, I want to read this issue that helps introduce Infinity Stones." Oh, I'm going to read the whole arc. Oh, you mean this annual leads directly into those events? What the fuck am I reading? This has nothing to do with anything. I am very confused. I don't feel fulfilled by this at all. None of that even compares to the point at which Spider-Man heads into space. Yeah, Spidey goes into space for the next issue, you guys. I, I, I just, I don't even know. Spidey heads into space, and the whole thing is basically a way to promote Adam Warlock. Kyle, was this your first experience with Adam Warlock? Yeah, I was completely confused when I, when I saw them mentioning Warlock. I was like, wait, when did the New Mutants Warlock come in this early into Marvel? And then I realized, no, this is not New Mutants Warlock. No, it's the guy that they they teased at the end of Guardians 2, which another reason Kevo is here. It made so much sense with MCU.html, where we're going to be talking extensively about the Infinity Stones and the Infinity Gauntlet and the Marvel Cosmic Universe to just have Kevo come on and listen to the insanity that was the birthplace of the Marvel Cosmics. So... Kyle, tell me the the uh, this third <laughs> issue. Um, the fuck oh even, geez. man. So they're on the moon, and and apparently there's a blue area of the moon. Yeah, yeah. the blue side of the moon. Oh, that's, that's where the Dark right. Phoenix saga I'm sorry. takes place. I completely forgot about that. And then 
this guy called the stranger appears yes the stranger yeah. does appear not to be confused with the gardener no, the gardener is completely different the gardener is completely different yeah the gardener looks like an old wizard guy and the stranger looks like an old creepy guy i just want to help out a little bit with contextualizing adam warlock adam warlock is just sort of hanging out in space right mm-hmm. and there's a reason it's because adam warlock just became the size of a galaxy and needed to shrink himself back down to the size of a person because being a galaxy wasn't helpful and he likes being helpful he saves spider-man which is super superhero of him and it's sort of a good break of the ridiculousness of hero after hero just smashing down at each other endlessly trying to kill one another without provocation so frequently the x-men see somebody flying and are just like they're flying they must be evil quickly i will optic blast them out of the sky you're just sort of left going how are you heroes right adam warlock just wants to make friends and that's super cute. I like that Adam Warlock just wants friends. But the stranger, the stranger wants to make friends with Adam Warlock's gem. And that's not super cool. No. So I enjoy that Spider-Man can web up the stranger's face. That's one of those moments where I'm sort of like, wow, that's a weird power up. But okay. Spider-Man can literally web up cosmic. It's almost like Spider-Man could web up Silver Surfer's face. I'd like to mm. see that happen. Right? You just want it to be like, Silver Surfer could just be like, Guam, and it would just disappear. Just Guam. <laughs> Not the country Guam, but like, Guam. Like, that's the noise. It would His face would melt off his face. So, um, I, I kind of love this issue, actually. It's sort of awesome and visual and dynamic, and it feels like it's going somewhere, and I genuinely love it so much, but also this isn't a Spider-Man issue at all. No. This is a Warlock reset story in a Spider-Man comic book, so people would read it, like it, and want to see what happens mm-hmm. next. That the stranger headovers to champions immediately says a lot about how hard they used to work to create cross-line synergy. We have Spider-Man, the X-Men, Hulk, Adam Warlock, and then the villain goes over to champions. This is four or five very different narratives, all being intersected against one another. Basically... It's almost hard to discuss the plot of the issue. It's a a big cosmic psychic battle, more or less. It's a lot of interpretation and having fun and it being cool to take drugs in the 70s. What? Kyle, (laughs) did you have any... What were your thoughts on this issue? Talk to me a little bit about Marvel Team of 55. So... It was it was a little confusing. I mean, like I said, I've had absolutely no experience with Adam Warlock before, so I didn't really understand why he was shrinking and all that, but and then we have mysterious characters, the stranger and the gardener. It's very like you have the stranger who's just trying to get Adam's a warlock's gem and then the gardener's like oh plants yay plants then eventually the gardener he realizes that even though he has this this place on the moon safe that eventually it's going to come under attack itself which it's already happening he uses the garden to attack the stranger which corrupts his surprise surprise he has a gem as well i don't know i'm so confused yeah i by the end am but i'm 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 i i i'm what jonah jonah you read it 
and now you heard somebody describe it, and you've read notes on it. Jonah, your turn, man. I don't even know. Yeah, this issue, it's a weird ending to this arc. This arc begins with X-Men. It's fancy that this character that Nico talks about, so many different narratives. And then it ends with different people. Spider-Man doesn't get to do much in this issue. There are a lot of cosmic beings, and Spider-Man only has so much he can do. He has a lot of physical limitations he can do in a cosmic battle. But, so this really ends up being, as Nico said, uh, Adam Warlock's story. I also think when Peter realizes he's going to the blue side of the moon, he references someone. I don't remember what the name he says, but it's no one in this comic. He says, oh, I've heard rumors of this person living there. Is it the Watcher? I think it was the Watcher. Or the Inhumans? Yeah, I think he says the Watcher, but the Watcher's not in this issue. Uatu. Uatu the Watcher. Yeah, but he's not in this issue. No, he doesn't have to be, because he's watching. But it's so weird to bring that up, a character that's not... Nah, he's watching it. He's just like, hey guys, it's me. When you bring me up, it's like... So he's voyeuring. Mm, okay. Guys, I have nothing left on this arc. I think for the most part I've made noises at it. Does Who has something? My one thing with this is, like you mentioned, the stranger, he goes off to champions uh, after this issue. But there's really no way for a reader to know that. All he all he references is that he's running out of time, and he eventually gives up uh, trying to get the stones from Warlock and the Gardener because he's run out of time. But there's nothing in the the text saying that this is where he's going to next. So back then they didn't do that. It's kind of it's kind of surprising that they would introduce this without letting people know where they could follow up on that particular arc. It's possible they didn't have it in it's mind possible. yet. It's possible they knew that somebody in editorial was like, okay, that's going to show up somewhere, but we're not positive just mm. yet. So, okay. Jonah, you have anything left to say on this arc? No. Kyle? I am good. Okay. Kevo? Ah. Well then, buddy, let's put on our Star Scepters and and get in our Captain Britain jets because it's time to head over to Marvel Team-Up 65 and 66 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. So this arc follows the standard format of Marvel Team-Up that we've all kind of burnt out on by now. Hero meets Spider-Man. Hero kind of fights Spider-Man. Turns out there's a common villain. Fights common villain. Yay. This is getting to be a lot at this point but i actually like some of the changes in pace on this one kyle is this your first early captain britain it is i was kind of surprised with costume designs and stuff like that and i'm i'm a little behind on episodes so i haven't really been i don't know where things are in your guys current read through yeah, where things are is Captain Britain has this sort of generic I'm a superhero status quo. His character pool has whittled down to nothing. He is a hollow shell of a hero. You're caught up. Okay. 
Welcome to the party. Jonah, would you tell us a little bit more about the contents? I would gladly like to do that. Spider-Man is having a rough time balancing heroics in school when an opportunity to show a transfer student, Brian Braddock, around offers him the financial assistance he needs. Meanwhile, contract killer Arcade is offered a deal to kill Brian on the secretly correct suspicion he is Captain Britain. A misunderstanding leads Captain B to tussle with Spidey and the two can only solve things in time to be kidnapped by Arcade. The pair work fiendishly to escape Murder World, Arcade's hyper-advanced death trap, and save the other hostages inside. All parties involved make their getaway, leaving both heroes and villains to battle another day. Captain Britain, Spider-Man, team up, mm. beat him up, what's going on here? Kevo, I know you are quite a big fan of the Tom Holland interpretation of Spider-Man. I am a big fan uh, of all interpretations like? of Spider-Man, thank you very much. Yes, but some are a little bit more lip-sync battle precious than others. So... That. Tell me, what was it like getting to read 70s Spider-Man? <laughs> uh, well, I had previously read a small amount of 70s Spider-Man before involving fighting at a circus. It wasn't much better. The largest thing I took away from the beginning of reading this issue was that Peter Parker just seems so inept and falling down on, on all of his academic stuff. Like, I can see why he would be in trouble. They were waiting an hour for him. He forgot all the forms that he signed. And, you know, side note, uh, that red well, suit that the dean was wearing was was bananas. But, yeah, seriously. It is almost like, oh my gosh, if I couldn't web my shoes on, I wouldn't know how to keep them on my feet. Spidey, Spidey! Yeah, it's, it's like, much. really over the top. <laughs> but he has such good one-liners. He does. He yes. sure does. But this must be your earliest Captain Britain as well, pal. Yes. This is not the only Cap- Captain Britain I've read before, but this is the earliest appearance I've seen him in a comic. My first thing that I noticed with this story is that it it's Chris Claremont getting back his toys. So suddenly, Courtney Ross is back. Kevo, when was the last how when was the last time Courtney Ross was genuinely important in Captain Britain? Uh, that time she got hit by a bus. That time she got hit by a bus. I I just I'm having a hard time finding use for. For it's just it's that thing we say. Chris Claremont loves his toys, man. Okay, and not to be that guy, but it kind of doesn't make sense that this college would be like nineteen-year-old boy show this adult man around. Yeah, it's it. This is very slapped together excuse to put them in an apartment together for just two issues. It's dream happenstance to the point that Spidey himself even points out, man, of all the people to get stuck with a superhero roommate, like, don't don't point to it, Spider-Man. It's already weird enough. But what's more significant than anything is that this is the first appearance of Arcade. Arcade goes on to be an X-Men villainous mainstay. He's always creepy. He's always a little bit unsettling. And he is one of my favorites. I love Arcade, And I think this introduction to him is 100% in line with the character he's going to become. Whether it's the garbage truck that eats people, <laughs> or it's the giant pinball death machine Rube Ber- Goldberg trap from hell. Now, I need to uh, I need to bring up the bad guy of this issue. The reason this is being covered in an episode of Uncanny, not an episode of Captain Britain, is because this features X-Men villainous mainstay Arcade. Arcade is going to stick around as an X-Men villain for quite a while. Uh, he's one of my favorites. I love everything about Arcade and his over-the-topness and his murder-worldery. Yeah. I love the garbage truck that eats people. 
Oh my I, god, that was amazing. I, I loved that. The garbage truck that gave him the suck. Uh, I literally wrote down not how garbage trucks work. And then I love that. I love them being giant pinballs. You know what I mean? It's it's so ridiculous. It's so silly. These these over the top super beings are are being put in a giant pinball machine. I think it's uh, absolutely great. I think. I think he was like the perfect amount of crazy. I think there's like two good ways to do crazy, and I think they did the really like over the top, over excessiveness really well. I think he was just a good villain. I think his trap is something that's copied very much in media. I think like I can see like it being. I don't know if this is where it originated or if this was the original idea for it, but I see it so often. This idea of being trapped in a pinball done well. I think that's good. I just really enjoyed it. I think he's a good villain, and I'm excited to see more of him and how he's going to destroy or try to torment the X Men. Yeah, and you get to see him pretty soon. You know, the only thing that I think is kind of a bummer about this two-parter, uh, other than maybe the fact that, you know, Claremont Claremont loves his own toys. Uh, he's a guy who loves to bring up his own ideas. Uh, Courtney Ross is someone he created when he created Captain Britain. Her inclusion here didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, Kevo, I know you know Courtney from Captain Britain. Jonah, you must have been so confused as to who the hell this woman was. Yes, exactly. This is not the woman I was expecting that they would torment with for CB. I think the problem with Murder World is that it's hard to talk about in a podcast sometimes. It looks really cool. It plays out really cool. But there's only so many times you can be like, oh, and then this Rube Goldberg contraption. And then this Rube Goldberg contraption. Uh, and the narrow escape. And the narrow escape. And the narrow escape. There's just so much you can talk about it. But it's actually a really cool issue. It uh, plays out really well. I would just say 66 is really light on plot. Yes, I, I, I fully agree. It, it just seemed like one mismatch of, all right, now we got to do it this trap. Okay, this trap. Okay, now we're separated and we're fighting two different traps of like a wacky fun house. It's cool to read and like go through. It just, it was just there surviving. Yeah. And in the end, the good guys get away. The bad guys get away. I think though, one of the things about this issue that gets me is the setup itself Peter realizes he's late for something, he gets there, and his dean is like, by the way, you agreed to host this guy, and Pete's like, what? And he's like, well, you took the money, so, you know, haha, you're gonna host this guy, you signed that form. And Pete's like, what? And then they bring in this giant, muscle-bound, blonde man to, I don't know, make Pete feel inferior? Or horny. Or horny, yeah, seriously. And he's just kind of like, I guess if you say I signed it, Jonah, you're the only one of us who's still a college student. Is this, do you just find yourself constantly housing giant British bodybuilders in your apartment? I sincerely wish. That's the goal for the future. Uh, no, but I think this line of dialogue from Spider-Man is the funniest and most relatable thing ever. They, t- they, As Nico said, they tell him, yeah, you signed these papers weeks ago. You said you would do this. And he literally says, I signed so many things. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's the, I think it's peak comedy. I think, I think it's just so funny and I don't know exactly why, but Spider-Man is just so relatable in these first few moments that I'm just like, yeah, that's a college kid. That, that's a college kid. He's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is a beloved two-parter. It's actually going to be brought up a lot. It's going to even be brought up. There's a time in the 90s where Spider-Man guest stars in an issue of Excalibur and right around the same time, Captain Britain guest stars in an issue of a Spider-Man title, and I think both uh, reference it. And that's, that's, okay, straight from the college, straight from the, the nerdy science college kid's mouth. He says that you just sometimes find yourself in the position of housing British bodybuilders. So, Kevo, 
how did how did this feel for you? Was this still in line with the cap we've been reading? Did this feel like a continuation of Captain Britain? Mostly, I would say. It was nice. It felt like a watering down almost, which I'm sure was an attempt to reintroduce him to a new audience. And there are things about Brian's personality that I'm totally cool with them watering down. He didn't need to talk about how angsty he is, that his parents died while he was getting some. I was getting really tired of that. There does reach a point with Brian that... They try to saturate him with some amount of melodrama, and it winds up kind of bringing the character down. It's that notion that the only way to have a Superman is to have him super humbled. And I feel like after a while, that did start to weaken the efficacy of the Captain Britain storytelling. Kyle, so this was your first early Captain Britain. Now, you're used to reading him in Excalibur after his... Alan Moore and Alan Davis and Jamie Delano era, where he gets the more traditional physique, he gets the updated Alan Davis costume, he gets new powers, he loses the Star Scepter. So what was it like for you going back and seeing an early appearance of Courtney Ross and Adventures of Cap before he had Megan? Um, I had a hard time keeping a straight face at times. Uh, any like any time he had his uh, what was it star scepter, it made me think that he looked like he was on a trapeze when he was trying to fly. I think one of the things that I did appreciate about this arc the most was getting to see a talented penciler like John Byrne put his spin on the Captain Britain look. Anytime John Byrne drew a character, he managed to transform the character in a powerful way. We got to see a quick retelling of his origin through John Byrne's pencils. And I really appreciated that because it, while uh, condensing it down, stayed true to some of the most important points of the origin story, like the hyper-dramatic panel of, oh, Lord, no, I'm going over a cliff. That's from the original, basically. Like, that's almost verbatim how over-the-top that moment was, so I really appreciate them going out of their way to include it again here. John Byrne is one of Chris Claremont's greatest-ever collaborators, along with Alan Davis, who he would work with on Excalibur and later on Canny X-Men. One of the things that's really interesting is Chris Claremont and Alan Davis are known for their work on Captain Britain, not Chris Claremont and John Byrne, so it's sort of a funny switch here. It's great to see John Byrne draw Merlin and Roma, who were finally named later on in Captain Britain, though not in the issue they're referencing here with the flashback. Jonah, I know you had a chance to listen to our Captain Britain podcast. You might have even been there when we were recording it at this point. I don't remember. But what was it like getting to see the origin for you? Captain Britain is this larger-than-life character, and I know you've read some of the Alan Davis, Alan Moore run, but seeing Captain Britain you know, running away from a fight, careening off a cliff on his motorcycle, and having giant cloud people come be like, hey, bro, Powers? Well, how did that origin feel to you, somebody who hadn't read it before? As far as origins go for superheroes, it's a little unconventional, a little far-fetched. Uh, it's kind of interesting that Brian was chosen to be someone special and that he was the one that Merlin and Roma were like, all right, you have this choice to make. There's only one right choice. And of course he chooses the right one. So he becomes a superhero. But I like it. Being unconventional and being different about something can be good. It's okay to to stray away from the status quo of how most superheroes find their origin. So I, I like it. 
And we do actually eventually get details that Brian is not the first person to be given the choice between the amulet and the other item, which is the Sword of Might. He's simply the first person to, to choose correctly. But, you know, you can't really put that much information in. There's really not much you can talk about with issue 66 because oh. the entirety of issue 66 is an escaping of Rube Goldberg contraption. So the last real contribution I have is something about issue 65. I... I reach this point where these heroes are able to execute grand logic all the time, and they're so smart, and they're so capable, and they're so good in a crisis, and when Brian Braddock sees Spider-Man flying out the window of his apartment, his thought is, Peter's gone, Spider-Man's running off, I should chase Spider-Man to find out if he's a hero or a villain, because there's no possible way the guy who is the exact same shape and size, weight, body type, as Peter is Peter. Not like I live a secret identity, double life, or anything. And I know, there's some, you know, how can it be possible that two superheroes share an apartment out of nowhere, but still. Plus, in Brian's experience, when he transforms into Captain Britain, his physical size changes. That's something that is still consistently being told to us, that people don't recognize the uh, form of Brian Braddock when he's not transformed into Captain Britain. So in his experience, he wouldn't be thinking Peter Parker is the same size as Spider-Man, necessarily. Okay, that was a pretty good defense. Kyle, what did, what did you feel about this two-parter? Where where are you at with this story? I actually enjoyed it a lot. Seeing uh, Captain Britain and Spider-Man uh, learn to work with each other. Um, seeing Arcade's first appearance, that was so cool. Um, and this was actually my earliest uh, viewing of the Siege Perilous as well. That's really interesting. So this, for you, is the first time seeing the Captain Britain origin. Yes. Oh, that's super cool. I'm super glad you got to read this then. Yeah, it was actually really cool. I agree. This is actually one of my favorite Marvel team-ups. It's one of my favorite stories we've read so far. I think it captures a lot of the Mm -hmm. fun and whimsy of Captain Britain. It still manages to keep Spider-Man fun and lighthearted. None of the Mm -hmm. annoying, over-dramatic, Morbius crap we had to put up with in those previous Marvel team-ups. It's a lot of fun to see Captain Britain get to just be a hero and punch his way out of a Rube Goldberg machine. That's really the kind of stuff I love about early Captain Britain when he just gets to be an adventurer and it, and it's a lighthearted book. He's too easily bogged down by melodrama and that's nothing I was looking for here. Kevo, this is the end of Captain Britain for you for a while. You're not going to have too much more Captain Britain for a bit. Yeah. Captain Britain is going to disappear from the Marvel Universe, eventually reappearing in a Marvel UK backup strip for the Black Knight, where he is the secondary character. His stories are going to be two and three pages long for over a year before he's eventually resurrected to his own stories by Alan Moore. Well, the Alan Moore run. A number of people do a few things here and there before Alan Moore gets on and fixes everything and makes it amazing. But Kevo, how has your time with Captain Britain been? How have you felt getting to know the the wonderful British counterpart to Captain America, who is in no way the British counterpart to Captain America? It's nice. I am excited to see more, to see better. I don't think that this has been the best introduction so far. Agreed, agreed. 
but all the bones are there to build something great. And that's one of the really cool things about comics is that characters can reinvent themselves over time. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing a Captain Britain more in line with what we just read. I'm with you. I'm super with you. My favorite eras of Captain Britain are the Alan Moore, Davis Delano era, Chris Claremont's Excalibur. I also super loved the Paul Cornell run. That was so fantastic. Well, Jonah, talk to me, buddy. This two-parter, this was your earliest Captain Britain. Uh, This was actually fun Spider-Man for a change. And we're kind of all genuinely agreeing. This is a a pretty cool Marvel team-up. I know you enjoyed it as well. Was it fun to finally have a fun Marvel team-up? Something I know Spider-Man for is being playful and a little bit goofy, a little bit ditzy, a little clumsy. Just like these, like these little quirky traits that he has that make him so charismatic as a hero. And getting to see that in an issue with a character that I really like with a villain that uh, is super cool and I'm excited to see more of and what he's about to do to the X-Men. It's really refreshing and I feel like this is how a Marvel team-up should have been done. While we have the problem with uh, the first one, where it's hero versus hero again, I still think it holds up as fine and well and believable that Captain Britain wouldn't know what happened to Peter, so he wants to talk or fight with Spider-Man. But I really did enjoy this. This was how I guess I expected when you say Marvel team-up to be because it feels like they actually do team up in an exciting way not in as we covered previously in the beast way where they spider-man and bees didn't fight but that was such a boring villain and such a boring plot i'm with you i also think you said something that i loved i loved your wording of this is a marvel team up done right we seem to feel that every one issue Marvel team up story wasn't long enough to get characterization. We seem to feel that the three parter and the three section annual kind of dragged out. So maybe two parts is the perfect Marvel team up. This is the only Marvel team up we've read that's two parts so far, though on the Uncanny series we will have another two part Marvel team up coming featuring Havoc, Thor, Living Monolith, Beast, Polaris. It's it's another one where they Marvel teamed up too many. Guys, if no one else has anything they want to contribute to 6566, I think we finally got through this back issue bin pile. How's everybody's short boxes feeling? Light. Checked off. Empty. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I feel, uh, feel like a new man. So I want to thank all three of you for coming out and making sure that this final issue of the back issue bin saga was, was everything we wanted it to be and more. Kyle, until we meet at the champions again, where can your fans find you? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. That's uh, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Awesome. Hey, Kevo. Same to you, bub. Same social media platforms at Kevo Really. And how about you, Jonah? Where can everybody check you out? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jonah.Rubino and at Jonah Rubino, respectively. Nico, where can everyone find you? 
As always, you guys can find the awesomeness that is Kid Riot, Riot Squad, and Capes and Boots, our hyper-inclusive webcomic at kidriotcomics.com where we have over 500 pages of free content as well as a store where you can check out the trades of our series. You can check out my music project at facebook.com slash actionduo where I make some throwback R&B and you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N Until next time when we get uncanny again everybody this is X's for Podcast signing off. Tra. See ya. Goodbye.